0: Um, Roger, welcome. Welcome to Vale, Colorado. I'm very, I'm very nice it is too. Yeah, so we uh, we're glad you're here. Thank you very much for coming to our macro summit, first one that we've uh, set up uh, for Mi Two. And you know, my vision is when I sort of set this thing up was look, you and I have been to loads mm. of these things over the, over the over the years, and there's a lots of people who come to them and have great smart things to say. But I always walk away half at waiting, sort of, okay, now what do I do with all this smart information? Right? How do I position my portfolio? How do I protect my wealth? How do I, you know, is there a trade that I can take away? So that's one of the objectives that we really have tried to set up and, and that's going to be on uh, the second day of the conference. But I think the other thing that I wanted to get it, I was really getting a little worried that we, we would miss some of these opportunities because I look at the world and does a lot of vol into people's views yep and that always sort of reminds me of those you know if you've been a a stock trader or a bond trader right you any price action if trading when you go after these big moves and you go into these periods where you get these periods of chop either at the top or the bottom of the range they're usually the formulation of either a pause before we break Mm -hmm. higher or lower again or a complete trend reversal and it strikes me when i look at people's views I've got my own, mine are pretty firm, I think, as to ultimately where we're going. The exact process of how we get there. And I know that you, in your day-to-day job, you interview the best of the best. And so, when you look at the world, what are you thinking? Because I'm really looking at this world and I'm saying, I think we're at a major structural inflection point. I think lots of the trends started a few years ago, You know, we've seen China-US relations deteriorate for a number of years. We've seen uh, dysfunctional US politics continue to build since the Trump election. We've seen, uh, I think, the emergence of fiscal, it, dominance is the wrong word because it, it is a specific term, fiscal dominance. But we've seen the power of the fiscal purse come back and the politicians discovering the power that they have at their disposal. And I look at all of these things where markets are positioned and I'm thinking this is not going to stay where it is. I think this is really generational kind of inflection point.
1: I, I think, stuff. And I think that... The view that this is an inflection point is perhaps the reason why there are so many views. Right. Because an inflection point, there's going to be points where everybody views, everybody's view is correct at some point during that that turn. Yeah. And at the beginning of this year, I remember saying um, on another podcast that this year is going to be really, really hard to actually call. Well done. Congratulations. Which, which is basically <laughs> the best call of yeah, the year Yeah, exactly. Going, going, I have absolutely no idea. Um, and what I've actually spent my whole year doing is, and I... I you know, brazenly so, plagiarising everybody else because there are bits of these different views um, which are coming right and some are coming wrong. But what I mean by that is that we've heard people say that recession's done. It's all behind us. Mm. People are saying that there's a big, big recession ahead of us. People are saying we're going to have reflation. And I think, this is, I think there's two big problems that we've got. One is that you're probably right in that there is, or I feel that there is an inflection point. Are we going from that kind of monetary world driven by monetary policy to a fiscal world driven by effective politicians rather than policymaker within banks and that was probably making its way through the last decade then obviously had this enormous exogenous shock of covid which has blown all the data out of all proportion which means that we're all now trying to wade through all the um all the sort of that backlog of of revisions revisions haven't come through so sometimes stuff that looks good gets revised as being absolutely appalling and vice versa and so i think and, and then within all of that i think that you know, I looked at last year and I said last year was a price shock. Yep. And I remember the beginning of the year going, oh, I think it could be a recession. And obviously, it wasn't because the US two quarters mm-hmm. is not a recession. But there were recessions in certain geographies sectors. and sectors. Yep. Parts of the, ho- certain households had them. And then I said, we we'll would probably have this period of transition where everything might look fine before we then go into a growth shock. And I thought the growth shock would probably be at the end of this year, but it's now looking like it might get pushed into next year. But yep. I still think that's coming. Problem is... Is that um, you know anyone who's predicting recession? Great, wonderful. Get it right, get it wrong. But what actually matters, as you know, is is you've got to get the actual direction, size of move of asset prices right. If a recession comes, but equities go up because central bank is throwing loads of liquidity, then well done for pricing the recession, or well done for predicting recession. But sorry, no, no guitar. You know, and I think that's the problem where we are at the moment. And so I'd actually throw it back to you and just say, you know, where. Where do you think we are right now? Because it still feel, feels like you know, we're in this position where we're seeing some big moves now in the downside of the equity market. So it could be that that break's happening. But at the same time, with a certain element out there where you know, people are justifiably saying, plausibly saying, oh, we might get this reflation window before right. we move into a genuine recession. So if I look at
0: we were definitely more in the recessionary camp, and I think you know, we were picking it up, particularly because if you're a macro guy, you tend to look at the manufacturing sector tends to lead. Even though it's a small percentage of most Western economies, it tends to be a much higher delta. So it tends to be the driver of the cycle. And recessions and economies are all about momentum. So if you get a big enough drop in even a small sector, it can kill momentum in the broad economy. And once you start, for example, losing jobs, you know, a job loss begets another job loss begets another job. You know, that, bought, that stone gets rolling. So we were definitely in that kind of recessionary camp. It worked from an asset trading perspective to go back to your point because we've been very bearish fixed income, we flipped, we went long, we kind of rode it down uh, a little bit. And the thing that started to get me disconcerted is I'm a very big believer in this concept that I refer to as hyper So what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is if I asked you, you're not a specialist, what leads does the real economy lead the financial markets or does the financial market lead the real economy logic would kind of dictate well it has to be the real economy real economy sets inflation it sets growth sets wages it sets profit margins right that should set equities and bond yields and all these sorts of things the answer is not in the united states what drives this economy is because it is so hyper focused on finances is the price of equities drives the behaviour of CEOs, and when stocks are going up, they're happy to hire people, and when stocks are falling, they get the cost-cutting ax out and they start slashing. And so the rebound in equities that we saw at starting at the very end of last year Has rippled into the real economy and that loss of momentum that we play, economic momentum that we played in the first half of the year that led bond yields to fall a little bit, come off the boil. That was all a function of last year's equity weakness. And then we got kind of to the middle of this year, and you could already start to see the effects of that equity rally that we had in the first half of the year come through in the economic data. And that's why. Starting in the summer again, we started to get very worried about the fixed income market because, frankly, this is an economy which is still growing far too rapidly. We think in an inflationary environment, it's not right to look at real GDP. You have to look at nominal because it's a combination of both inflation and real growth that you're trying to tackle. And um, it was—it's just—it's growing still at six percent, right? I mean, we're not an emerging market. Six percent is the sort of thing you saw at the highs of. The pre the dot-com bubble when the Fed was jamming rates up, you know, is what you saw in 06 right before the the GFC right? There's very very rapid levels of growth And so we were kind of looking at this and going ooh, the bond market's not gonna like this This kind of concept of reacceleration, but I think it truly is a function of The rebound in equities in the first half of the year now Where it goes from here? Bonds have been still doing most of the tightening of financial conditions. Um, I think financial conditions have to remain at least this tight for a very long time. I don't think people quite realize what how high higher for longer is, but um, this makes this quite a difficult time to trade. And I'm sure this is essentially well, what you're picking this up. Is,
1: well, this is, you know, in many ways the thing because The question that I think a lot of people are trying to battle with is whether we go into a natural slowdown recession or whether, because of some of the things you're talking about, the Fed need to generate a recession. Because I think the bullish argument that a lot of people have is that if we go into a natural recession, then central bank policymakers have learned so many things over the last 10 years that they will work out how to cap vol and therefore support asset prices. Now, there might be the little bit of deleveraging in the first place, Mm -hmm. but as we saw in COVID, If you chuck enough cash at it, it all bounces back. So they do that. Now, that's but that means that we need to go into a recession naturally and quickly and a deep one. Now, if we don't, we go to kind of in some ways the, the, the argument that you're looking at first off, which is we get those high yields. And those high yields are because we've got certain elements of the market or certain elements of the economy, like oil prices, again, starting to push up. We've seen wages which are a little bit sticky. And even though, you know, we've got the um, the shelter element of CPI coming down. We've got other things going up. And the volatility of the two means they may actually cap each other, cancel yeah. each other out. So you get to this point where you're kind of going, OK, if you've got relatively low unemployment and you've got relatively high or actually excruciatingly high GDP on a nominal basis, and you've got, you know, even if CPI was at zero, if everything else is looking hunky-dory, the, the propensity is still going to be, well, we need to hike rates to make sure we don't right. get a rebound in inflation so again it goes back to and i think this is where people are grappling is that some people think we get the natural recession and this is the i think it's the word by deutschbank that had that a little chart which said you are here so basically the last 13 recessions the last 13 recessions as now they did that in june as of now of those 13 recessions after the first rate hike and they counted that as it has to be 100 basis points i think in a year okay. not just 25 right right, just right, right 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 of those of those thirteen, only two recessions would have occurred before this point in time. Interesting. So the other eleven would still be at least a year ahead and more, with some way way out. The point being yeah. is that it would be perfectly policy natural, works with a lag. With a lag, and and we've been so used to our, our, our recency bias of everything happens in double quick time. You get your recession, you get your equity sell off, you get the policy response, and everything's off to the races again. Well, we think that's how the world works. We forget that for long, long periods, these things took years and years to play out. Or in fact, as you saw in the late 60s, early 70s, or throughout the 70s, it was a decade and a half of up, down, up, down, up, down, but ultimately nowhere. I think that's the problem with people are are grappling with is that everybody expects it to be a quick window. And so you see a lot of institutions who say, no point in having hedges because we get bailed out. Yeah. And they used to buy the hedges. And as we all know, they used to pay up for put protection. Yeah they would spunk away a lot of money, and they go, what's the point? Because the next three occasions, the next three big ones, if you held out for a year, doesn't make
0: not Yeah, If it your timing's matter. off, right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, look, I, I think you raise,
0: you raise some, uh, a dichotomy, right? I mean, I'm very much in the camp, and you raised it here. I do not, I struggle. It's possible, it's possible. And there's one get-out-of-jail-free card. But I struggle with the concept of a painless reacceleration in growth. So by that I mean a sustainable, right? So don't get me wrong, could you get a... You know, I look at the ISMs and some of the indicators I'm looking at suggest that the ISM certainly manufacturing, should start to pick up from here, right? Yeah, very much. Um, now, is that sustainable? That's the question. The problem that I struggle with is not at 3.8% unemployment. Hmm. Because, and you raised it, if nominal GDP stays high, which is great for stocks, right, because they earn nominal GDP, if inflation tomorrow morning was zero, that's kind of the wet dream for most equity bulls. They'd be like, we're done. And my response would be, no, you ain't. No. Because your real growth would have to go to 6%. Trend is, according to Jay Powell, 1.75. So you're advocating we can grow almost four times trend without creating underlying inflation with 3.8% unemployment. And we've only ever tried that once, and that was in the late 1960s, 66, 67, where we had this first burst of inflation out of its kind of very low trading range of the early 60s. Fed hits it, comes back down again, they panic because they end up with a little banking crisis. They kind of give an injection, give some of the tightening back. The economy catches again, courtesy of ongoing fiscal spending. And inflation comes roaring back. And the next move on equities is having been down like 20% in sixty, early 66. I think it was 68, they dropped 35%, right? So the, it wasn't sustainable. Mm. And that's what I truly struggle with. I, I think that the Fed has had it. And they can't enunciate it. They can't do what the Bank of England said when they said, you know, oh, you're going to have the worst recession you've seen in the post-war period. Like, the Fed just can't do that, right? The politics just don't allow it. And so, I, I think they've always been intent. And if you looked at the SEPs, they would have had forecasts of unemployment in there that are only recessionary forecasts, right? Because we know that Claudia Sarmes, Metric, you know, the 0.5 rise using the three-month moving average of unemployment. Actually, you don't need to bother with that You don't have to wait for the three months. You can just do 0.6 on the straight index. Mm. It's exactly the same thing But the point is is they had forecasts of unemployment that were Using the whole post-war period recessionary They yeah. never said recession So I think the intention was all along recession I think your point about markets forgetting it works with a lag. I think is definitely true and you know but i get this dichotomy i mean what i have what i think is the get out of jail free card because there's one thing that could happen that could inflation could come down real growth could reaccelerate, employment could stay low and inflation stays low so i've got one get out of jail free card and that's ai maybe and
1: productivity have you thought about that scenario? I think that the, I think things like AI and productivity take a long time to actually get into the real now world. Now I'm with you on that one, that's yeah. the problem. It's, 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 I mean, we talk about it coming sort of overnight, it never does. And so I think this is the problem, is that we're talking about things that need to happen coincidentally and quickly yep. in a positive way. Yeah. And they never do. And I think that the, the, the real battle here is that if you have no recession, well, just stepping back, actually, every single recession since the war has two things in common. The most important thing being is that unemployment explodes higher, every single one. Now, sometimes recession causes unemployment, sometimes unemployment causes recession. They're coincident. That's the key thing. And when you get that move up in unemployment, that's when you get a normally tradable low in the equity market. Yep. Some of them aren't very powerful, like 1980, 82, and 91, but they always happen inside the recession. Correct. Always, every right. single time. So let's say that's not going to happen now. So this is the we're going to have the immaculate recession where you don't get unemployment going up, which actually means it can't be a recession on that sort of metrics that the, the Fed, well, not the Fed, MBER uses, yeah. which is debt diffusion duration. Yeah. Because it's the unemployment that means it gets into the whole economy. Right. So without unemployment, you don't get a recession. So if you don't get a recession from high unemployment. It means that you must be very, very worried that you're going to get the rebound in inflation right. from a tight labor force. Even if you get that, as I say, CPI zero, right. they don't care because CPI today is not CPI in a year's time, yes. which is where right. you're worried about. Correct. So it's, it's like this. I keep on saying is be careful what you wish for, because if you get the market going, oh, it's great, we're going to avoid this, that and the other, and it's off to the races, the Fed's just going to go, great. So at five and a quarter percent interest rate, we've got a higher uh, equity market, low unemployment and strong GDP. Oh, we'll, we'll get another 50 in the bag because we spent 10 years whinging that we actually have nothing to cut when we've right. got a problem. So actually, if the Fed could get, I mean, you know, they won't be able to get to 10% without killing something, but if they could get to 10% because each time they raise rates, everyone goes, that's the last one, we'll rally the equity market. They'll just be sitting there going, oh, okay, we'll, do it, again. we'll yeah. do it again. And I think they, they have to because it's going to your point, which is if, if they want to be in control, then they've got to make sure they are in control of, the employment scenario, the equity market, which is feeding into the employment scenario. And they don't want to be caught blindsided by the fact that this could all take off. So I just, for me, the, the whole argument, the whole positive argument is actually leading straight into, well, the Fed's got to then do the proper right. breakage of something.
0: Right, and, uh, and I think that that's my concern. I just think that the, certainly the no-landing scenario, and as I said, on a sustainable basis, Three three months, six months, fine, right? But the no landing scenario is a impossible scenario. The slide into recession, unemployment rises towards you know four and a half percent. We'll be in a recession historically at that point. Unemployment won't stop at four and a half percent. But even that kind of oh, it's just gonna. The Fed had in their SEPs. it was gonna go up to like four point one or four point two, I think it was, and it's just gonna sit there, and you're like never done that before right and that was just a great bit of you know kabuki theater for the politicians right but the to me soft landing is not really a viable so it was really just whether they've done enough now to kill it or whether they're going to have to deal with another slight burst of excitement Mm -hmm. courtesy of the big rally that we've had in stocks and then the bond market will either have to do it for them or um, they will have to, they'll have to go again.
1: And it kind of goes to you know, what we're seeing. But here we are in the end, at the end of September, whether the pullback in the equity market actually has legs, yes. proper legs. Because if it doesn't, if it's one of those things where, you know, as we've seen so many times when you have these rallies, an effect of the equity market eventually gets bored and has a pullback and everyone gets really, really excited about the downside and everyone gets yep. wrong-footed. Now, we don't know, but if it's just one of those, oh, you know, We've got to to shake a few people out, but then we'll carry on the trend. That's the big risk, because if you then carry on a bullish trend, because people just need to chase performance into you. And you get this, I always say, you can get this illusion of growth, illusion of reflation. And everyone, I mean, so many times you've seen people get a a market reflation trade mixed up with an actual economic growth reflation story. The market gets a sniff. Bit of money flows into cyclical stocks, yields go up a little bit, everyone goes, here we are, growth's back, off we go. Yep. But actually, all it was was there was some money on the sidelines, bought into year end. in. And I think three out of the last seven years, we've seen at the end of the year with a little bit of a kind of Santa rally, maybe going into um, the beginning of the new year, we've seen these moves. I mean, even pre-COVID, we've sort of kind of got that little bit of a rally um, at the end of the year and then into the new year. And everyone's going, oh, reflation is coming. And actually, this reflation trade is going to destroy the impact of right. COVID because it doesn't matter. It was the market basically wrong-footing everybody. And I think that, and the danger of that is the market wrong-foots everybody. It's going to give the Fed the ammunition to basically go, go again. hard again.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, and I think
1: that it, it, it's,
0: it's this, it is this concept, as you said, this sort of immaculate reflation. I really struck on a sustainable yeah. basis, I really, really struggle with. And,
1: and then in terms of, you know, how if we do get the rollover, and this is the other big kind of battleground, I think, is in the, within the bond market on the actual curve. Yep. Is it that this move that we're seeing in 10 years and 30 years keeps on going and kills things? Or is it that we have the front end, it's a Fed, that has to kill things? Because if the Fed kills things, they put the front end up, the back end will eventually go, oh, yeah, you were right. But it might only fall to, you know, three and a half percent this time. And that's what we saw in the 70s. We talked about this before, where um, unlike those beautiful you know, Fine waves. sine waves waves we've got, in the 70s, you had massive volatility of the 2s, 10s curve into and through these recessionary periods because it was you've got inflation, you whack up rates, growth dies. Oh, actually, then you've got nominal growth coming back. Yields are up because everyone thinks growth reflation is back. Oh, no, it's not. It's actually inflation. Whack up your rates again. And you get these, I think you went from minus 200 to plus 100 in the late 80s, yeah. so in, in the late 70s into the early 80s. It's,
0: it's interesting you mention that. I mean, I've got a client who is um, a blue-chip UK wealth manager, and you would think that they were tremendously conservative. They are tremendously aggressive. And their whole thesis is we're moving into a period where the kind of, essentially, the destruction of the wealth created by the 60-40 portfolio, where they think they're going to have to become even more aggressive in trading the portfolios, where they're going to have to go, essentially, if you look at it from an equity perspective, you know, all growth, no value, Mm. all value, no growth. And it worries them because even though they think they understand this, and I think they're probably right, it goes back to that, you know, the wild swings in the bond curve. The cost of getting out of sync at any one point is enormous. It's It's so fucking hard to make money. I mean, if you you preserve wealth
1: in that, mm. you deserve a gold star. Do you you think of the mindset? I mean, the mindset is that, you know, we, we talk about these big moves in the market, but when you see a huge market move, a pullback of 50% in the market, it's only the tip of assets in yeah. total that are getting yeah. sold. Nearly everybody is stuck. Yes. So think about that. You've got, what is it, X, 20 trillion, is it? Something like that yep. in the equity market. You can't go shift 20 trillion from growth to, no. <laughs> to, you know, to defensives. To, you can't do that. So it's going to be people, and this is, a lot of people call this the hit and run mentality. That's what you need. So as an individual investor, you can probably manage your portfolio, yeah. but huge multi-billion, multi-trillion dollar Now they,
0: they get bought, I mean, you know, this is, this is part of the parcel sort of, I think what has to come eventually, which is some form of financial repression, right? Because you, there are just pools of cash that yeah. just cannot move. And that's how well, this is, you know, they deal with that. And I, it brings me to something which really, I don't think many people are talking about this, right? You certainly don't see it in the mainstream media, right? We have been lucky enough that we got the right side of this, but these movements in the long end of the bond market in the last couple of weeks, if those were equivalent movements in stocks, it would be plastered all over CNBC with the big ticker, you know, going, Mm -hmm. stop, crash, you know, this sort of thing. The movements in these long ends of the bond markets are incredibly disconcerting. I mean, just before, you know, as we said, we're shooting this, Um, On the 26th of September, you know, we've had a nasty sell-off in the equity market I think 30-year bond yields are up four basis points. Hmm. Yeah, right. I mean this that's where's the defensive quality in that eh? Where's the defensive (laughs) quality of that and I worry I deeply worry about these bond markets Roger because just If if we start to get unhinged global G7 sovereign bonds we haven't seen well, anything it, yet.
1: It, it kind of goes to that one of the ways I sort of look at this is that this is a crisis of assets under management. Right. Particularly long duration assets. And we've seen that. This is the long end of the bond market. It's real estate. But where it also lies is that if you think about a lot of the private equity world, and you think about what pensions have invested in over the last yep. 10, 15 years, because of lower for longer for the most of the last decade. Yep. It's like, okay, where can I get my return? It's going into long duration assets. Yeah in private equity funds. And most of those private equity, fu- equity funds are probably thinking, you know what, these things normally last about a year and then bond yields will fall and mark to market will come back. This is the problem with, with hire for longer is that eventually you run out of time yes. waiting for your mark to market to heal itself. Yes, And eventually you have to go, you know what, lads, I am down 40%. Right. You know, we've seen it with Tiger Global yep. because they're in the public domain a bit more. And we've seen it in, you know, when you've seen it in the, the, the guilt crisis, the pension crisis in the UK it's there waiting and the the private equity market needs a good old-fashioned common or garden recession where bond yields plummet
0: to get out of to get
1: out of jail and plummet and go into the old world where they stay down yes but the problem is they'll only have a small window in which they might be able to liquidate and that's the problem is if they think that this is going to be a world where if we're, we're either higher for longer or we have gyrations which keep on going they'll think okay I'm either screwed or I'm going to have to start liquidating into all those gains, which actually means that those sell-offs in yields, those rallies in bonds, yes, they're theoretically good for some of these long-duration assets, but you're going to get a huge move for the exit right. in that tiny window of opportunity. And I, I, you know, I, I totally agree. I mean, I
0: think there's an awful lot of mark to make believe you know, essentially going on because it doesn't have to really be marked, right? And they're telling this bullish story. I mean, particularly... You know, we can see it in commercial real estate, right? I mean, I know, you know, I've got uh, contacts in Europe and they've been doing, in these distressed debt funds, they've been doing lending at sort of anywhere between 15 and 20%, 25% for sort of two year financing on commercial real estate deals that have to get completed. And these guys are, you know, the hope is, it's the Hail Mary pass, to use the American expression. Two years time, I'll borrow I'll take the pain now because over the whole scheme of the building you know it doesn't doesn't hurt me that much if I pay up for a couple of years of funding because then rates will have come back down I can lock in my 2% loan again or my two and a half percent loan and I really do worry about that and I worry you know I don't think people understand what higher for longer means I mean we had higher for longer in the mid 90s different kind of setup arguably but Even, and we got incredibly lucky in the mid-90s because what really enabled the economy to grow was we had that huge burst of productivity that came through leading into ultimately the dot-com bubble, but that whole kind of initial internet uh, investment, which was a very long and sustained period of productivity growth in the United States. Um, And that enabled stocks to go up, but rates remained really, really high, unchanged essentially for four and a half years, Roger. And you sit here and you go... The keep rates are, let's say, just above five for four and a half years. How much shit is going to go pop, right? Not even just commercial real estate. How many governments are going to go pop if they're refinancing at five?
1: Most, yeah, it's, it's the um, it's kind of a nightmare scenario. And this is where, again, when you talk about this, this inflection point, which is where a lot of people are grappling, because I think a lot of people see can see your view and they go. It's so horrendous. It that, can't that, possibly happen. Or if it happens, central banks and treasuries, so governments and central banks, will have to be coordinated with yield curve control. So you might have interest rates at 5% to kind of deal with the inflation bit, yep. But actually, we're going to cap uh, you know, 10 years at 4%, or actually three, 3.5%, and we'll just run that. So we're going to at least keep that duration story in limbo, zombie long duration. Um, and then they'll do their QE stuff, and they'll play with all this stuff. Because you know, what, what we've seen over the last... Last three years is when there have been issues, we've seen reverse repo, we've seen repo, we've seen the btFP, and you know this year, what was interesting is that, and one of the reasons why people have talked about this reflation rotation into year end is that with the btFP you've seen yields going higher, but bond volatility moving lower, right right up until this last pop in yields going to these new highs. But it feels like they're kind of going you know stroking the bids and going, okay. The economy might be screwed, but maybe we can kind of do that whack-a-mole with asset prices. Oh, that one's gone. Well, we'll we'll do that thing over there, and we'll do. And so, I guess one of the questions that a lot of people are thinking is: Do asset prices or certain parts of the asset price matrix divorce themselves from the reality of the interest rate curve and the economy, so that you do get a recession? But I would
0: argue. I mean, I've read some research recently, which is just frightening when you start to, you know, look at long-term equity yields versus bond yields and where that would mean equities actually should be trading that mm. arguably US equities have already divorced themselves from the long term reality. Absolutely. But, you know, that, that personal personal uh, biases aside, um, you, raise some, you raise some interesting questions. There is no question to my mind. And this is something that Raoul and I, for example, on Real Vision have, have, have talked about, macro insiders that ultimately, I think we are going, that kind of laissez-faire economics basically peaked in 08, right? And since then that we've seen this sort of, you know, the death of the invisible hand as governments have basically increasingly encroached through necessity, frankly, right? Um, We are in a much more dangerous, unstable world geopolitically, and this is something that we're gonna explore in the next uh, couple of days, uh, which, because for once in a while, I think it's actually very poignant, (laughs) <laughs> not you know sometimes i think you know i used to work at medley global advisor we used to have a whole geopolitical side and i'd be like what does this mean yeah does it <laughs> do stocks go up or down on this and they would yeah. go well no nah. and i would be like okay forget it but now i actually think it really does matter i think what china and the u.s do yes. where the flows go you know do their savings keep coming here do we are we able to invest over there what are we able to do because i remember you know three years ago we said you're gonna have to be careful to think about, are you able, able to invest in these countries? And people said, you're fucking insane. Yeah. Of course I'm going to own Chinese stocks. Well, you, they're not anymore. Yeah. We're all disgorging them right? out, of, out of all the pension funds. So I think we are going into this environment where governments have to, for social stability reasons and for, I call it big boy politics, mm-hmm. right? geopolitical things, have to impose their control over free markets. But I do believe that when that happens, there are ways of making money. As long as you're able, this is always my big thing about Bitcoin, and I used to get into trouble, you know, with some of the, on Twitter, I used to wind people up about this. It's not that I saw it was necessarily a bad thing. I thought the technology was very interesting. I just never saw it as an ultimate store of wealth because it, it had the potential to get so big, to get so disruptive that governments would just have to go no mm. and i remember being at a couple of events and people saying but you know that's not how the system works right you know i can keep it offshore and no one can find it and i'm like really really
1: you know there was that whole so totally enclosed cell phone like, system that well, they had in you europe can, you can keep it offshore as long as you don't use it to buy anything. Ever. it's a bit like northern right. greece and all the people have porsches and swing pools and they eventually went hang on a minute there's more Porsches in northern greece per capita right. than anywhere else just before they went buffed yeah you dodging your taxes. Yeah. Clearly you are. Yeah. And it's like, okay, if you're driving around in lots of flash cars and have lots of swimming pools, but you don't seem to have any wealth, they'll go, you've probably got into something offshore. Right. right. Okay. Right. So there's not gun to your head, but either you tell us where it is or you put you in the slammer. Yeah. Yeah. And in, which in the is, US, you never want and, and to And this is, you know, and I guess one of the other things with this, which I've been sort of grappling with, which is that this distortion of markets, we talked about it from the political side, but the other side of it is, you know, we've seen this shift into rules-based passive investing, Yes, and people always say to me, "Ah, oh, the P is too high, and I go, P doesn't matter, if the only thing you put in is volatility. Right. If volatility momentum is your key factors, I go, oh, but it isn't. Yes, the margin. But I say, if we're in, and we're not in a world, but if we're in a world where 100% of US equity assets were rules-based, then earnings don't really matter. What no. matters is volatility. And then it goes back to, okay, if you can cap volatility then you can actually always have a bullish equity market right. theoretically as long as you don't have mass liquidations from unemployment where you know as we saw unemployment yeah, goes but up. You see, but-
0: that that goes back to the you, you you're right technically you're right the problem is is that it's always been. you know you have to go in an enclosed system and the, yeah. and the yes. answer is we don't live in an enclosed no. system so you might have okay performance in u.s equities in the US but if you have the ability to look outside the US right you might have incredibly good performance of 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 US assets right I mean I looked at I was looking at you know if you look at 2002 to 2008 dollars declining you would think oh it's great for US equities right well tech was the worst performing sector US equities were the worst performing sector and everything that no one owns at all now and i know some people will be listening to this because they're a bit wonky right the macro guys right so they will own some mining and metal and they will mm. own some precious metals yes. but but energy is only up 11 percent since 2011 equity uh equities you know and the nasdaq's still up 450 something odd percent right so you just go into these periods where you you're right you know yeah you can you can do this and it suppresses you whack this one mole here but this other mole raises its head and we're, what we're trying to help people to do, and this is really what I want this conference to try to do, is identify where these other moles mm. could come out and you grab those at least for a long until that gets what yeah. right? It just gets a very <laughs> yes. interesting world.
1: So, yeah, that's, I mean, the, the example I use there, just so, you know, because I think we've moved about 65% of US assets are now rules-based yes. rather than passive. So it means that at the margin, the active managers are less relevant because everyone goes. Oh, the Bank of England, in- not Bank of England, in- the Bank of America survey, and active managers are doing this. And I get you, yeah, but active managers have been effectively liquidating their portfolios on average over the last ten years as money has gone into the, the sort of the passive stroke rules base. And so those sorts of things don't matter. You need to almost break that part of the. the but you could over time. Don't you,
0: I mean, over time, let's say, you know, the weightings in the S and P will change, right? And we could go back to a situation where tech has got a much lower weighting and energy has a much higher weighting, and we know, you actually you raised it before, you can't jam all that money quickly into no. these tiny weedy pots in the market. So, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, the, the, there's lots of inbuilt stabilizers, but I think when you get to a point, and I think it's interesting this conversation, clearly because we're, none of us know exactly how this thing pans out but we all sort of look at it and go there's well, something, something, not, stinks, something something stinks something stinks here something. right and i know this yes. isn't going to be the way it's,
1: well i think because we know that if there wasn't you know, if there weren't so many policy tools now so before it was interest rates and it was like oh interest rates weren't working so we'll do qe and now we'll do lots of other backstops so there seems to be all these different things, which you've almost got to run them over. And you know, they managed to run themselves over in 2008 yeah. by going, oh, actually, we'll let that company go. Now, if they hadn't, they probably wouldn't have run themselves over. So having learned from that, that you don't let anything major happen, it kind of goes back to that sense where a lot of people remain relatively constructive is that they've got our backs. So what is it? that we need to actually mean that the central banks can't do anything. So I, and I, I kind of, the one or two things I look at, Yeah, so like, what are you looking at? Well, I see, still think that there is a risk that China might one day go, you know what, eight on the renminbi. Yep. 7.3 at the moment. This is actually pretty bad. We're going to do one of those things that like we did in 2015, 16, yeah, where we'll do yep. it. And yes, eventually, I'm sure that the, 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 um, the Fed can rest back control of that market. But if you have a big move in the dollar, that's a disorderly move higher, that's a tightening of conditions that could be, right. th- could be negative, and I think would take a long time to work through. Um, outside of that, I don't think, you know, it would be a sudden and incredible pop in CPI. I don't think that's going to happen. There might be a move higher in CPI, but I don't think there's going to be one of these, oh, we were at three and a bit and now no, we're at it, five. back at
0: eight or something. Yeah. yeah. That,
1: we'll see it coming because it builds. Yep. Um, unemployment has to suddenly surge, but initial jobless claims have actually been getting better, not worse. So for me, it's it's very hard to see something that's not an exogenous shock.
0: So if you don't mind, I'm going to say you're thinking too small. So I've got two things that worry me. The first one is, if we look at China, it's that China decides that this vast pool of savings that they have, which they are graciously using to buy foreign assets, less US assets than they used to, but because of fungibility, even if they buy burns it yeah. eventually kind of makes itself felt in the US Treasury market. That China says, you know what? We really do have to kickstart consumption. We really have to move from this G&I based government and investment based economy. We need to boost C, right? And if we need to boost consumption, we need our savings back onshore to direct them into spending. Um, And that would be an absolute fucking disaster for global fixed income. Because there's no one else out there who can buy, you know, you'd have to go straight into QA, yeah, And um, that has big consequences uh, if you do that, particularly if you're either in a strong economy or, uh, you know, you would certainly hurt the dollar materially. So I think
1: that But doesn't, is, doesn't is that a, run up as you say, I'm not thinking big enough, but in and of itself, doesn't that run up into the size issue we talked about earlier, which is let's say China did that and tried to do it at speed, the market would actually reprice their assets so quickly that they'd lose out. So they might as well go We've I mean, got to do this incrementally? Maybe I mean it's a they ten are, year game, not a one year well, game.
0: Well I mean they could do it they could they could slowly Yes, and they're, they're caught in this sense, but they're trying, right? You can see they're buying tangible assets, right? Hmm. They're, they're reducing what they've been owning yeah. uh, in G uh, or in certain US uh, fixed income. So that's one that I worry about. The second one I worry about is something that I've been worried about for a while, but I think really could potentially be coming to the fore, and that is if we move back into and I let me rephrase that: worry is probably the wrong it has significant market consequences. So from market perspective, it's you have to be ready for it. Is it societally worrying? Could be, but actually th- it may just be necessary. And that is that we move from this period of what's referred to as monetary dominance, where you basically have monetary policy setting the tone of mm-hmm. the economy and markets to a period of what was referred to as fiscal yeah. dominance. Yeah. And fiscal dominance, essentially, you can't have a government call it Treasury running an economy and uh, a central bank ruining an economy Um, no one system believe it or not we're very used to the monetary so we tend to sort of ascribe greater credibility to that monetary, but there's actually nothing wrong technically with fiscal on paper. You know, if an economy is overheating, a government could raise taxes. If economy is slowing down, they could cut taxes, except, you know, raise spending, increase, you know, cut spending, that sort of thing. So there's actually on paper, nothing wrong. The problem is of course, you're beholden to politicians Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to central bankers and politicians are far from independent, even if you can ascribe that to central bankers. Uh, but there's also a tendency that you can slide into that situation. And when the, you slide into that, and something that Mike Taylor, who's speaking at the conference, uses is he goes, you know, you must never forget that the ultimate job of a central bank is the solvency of their boss, right, mm-hmm. which is the government. And that you end up in a situation where you start to run these, we are running very, very large deficits, yep. right, We're arguably, I would say, fighting three wars, Roger, climate change, Kinetic war with Russia, cold war with China, vast quantities of spending on an ongoing basis that need to be used to address, address these things. And um, you get to a point in terms of debt to GDP and debt sustainability, where it just becomes increasingly complicated or difficult for a central bank to raise rates to control inflation without pushing the government into a point of insolvency. Um, and so then you slip into this. And I worry that markets are not prepared for this and I worry that policymakers are not prepared for this and I see signs that I think are a little concerning here in the US and to me those are two of the big things that would truly shove us into a into a new environment and I'm not saying it's wrong right we were in fiscal dominance certainly in the whole of the second world war and into the early 50s and it wasn't a wrong thing no. to be. We were fighting. The oh no! War, absolutely, right? society demanded that the politicians yeah. take control, and the central
1: bankers played a supporting act. Right? And that's and that's you know that's the thing. So the fiscal was effectively post-war to Reagan Thatcherism, nineteen eighty, yeah. almost on the nose. Right. And they went into the monetary world of central yeah. bankers, policymakers, and, and lower yields. These are huge, obviously, periods. And this is so. This is, I think, where you know, talk about sequencing and timing between our two views, which is, I'm thinking. What could cause it to happen now? Right. And what you've been describing is something which is a big structural thing. So for instance, twin deficits has been a story that's been going around as a reason why the US is going to die immediately, that's been going around for 20 years. No. So it's, these are things which are, um, are big structural headwinds. But I, the question, I guess, for people, because you know, it's, it's most people who you probably deal with care about what might happen over the next 18 months. Well, not even. What is, and so what, what could be the catalyst that brings the big structural things into play right now? or even what it could be the catalyst that takes us from what is a, an uncertain world today into the certainty of a deep recession. And that's why I was saying that a big move in the dollar by China, okay. which yeah. is out from left field or whatever. But otherwise, outside of that, yes, I could see a deterioration of a lot of things, but you really need a sudden surge in unemployment yes, or a sudden disorderly move in the dollar or a sudden disorderly move in bond yields, which again could happen. but. Will that happen without a big move, an unexpected move in in inflation? It's hard to see where that thing comes from right now.
0: I would, look, I I don't disagree. I just think, you know, my view on bond yields is basically absent COVID, we kind of saw the low in bond yields in like 2016. When I look at demographic patterns, they're bad. When I look at spending patterns, they're bad. When I look at the pool of available savings, it's bad. And I think things trend structurally. So for me, the only reason why I like to do these sorts of big picture thought pieces is not for any trading, immediate trading reasons at all. It just tells me, should I be buying dips or selling rallies? Mm. Because if I've got a structural view that now bond yields just keep rising, then every time they fall, I'm, my inclination is not to press that they fall further or further, but it's to fade that move. Mm-hmm. And it just gives me that kind of mental direction of travel. Doesn't dictate short-term trading, doesn't dictate any of those sorts of things. Um, you know. But it hadn't been an easy year to your point, right? It's been a very no. choppy, we had a great first quarter, we, we run said some alpha capture money, we had a great first quarter. Um, we got lucky uh, going into SVB. Um, but then it's been a chop since.
1: And this is why it's gonna remain incredibly difficult because unless this equity weakness that we're seeing right now actually then gets momentum to the downside so that the equity market or the risk asset market confirms a slowing in the economy and the two reinforce each other. Absent that, this window of transition between the price shock and potential growth shock could just keep trundling along. And for many people it could be one or two investment horizons worth of time before we get to the big trade. I want to say investment horizon, a six month view. Yeah, I hope you not, know, I mean, well that's- It's just exhausting. Because like, that, that Deutsche Bank um, analysis would suggest that actually on average, you'd probably be at the end of 2024 before the sort of God. most of the recession start to hit home. Like, you know, what do we do in that time period? I just, just
0: keep selling bonds on every, up, every bounce. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, even, even when I look at the sort of, for me, the obvious trade was always, if, you, if you've been lucky enough to get that equity rally up until I was talking about this two months ago, mm. Could you switch out of your equity pot into cash by what was then a relatively cheap long-dated call? I think one-year calls yep. on the S&P were actually puts, but volatility one year out looked attractive. Yep. You could put your money into a money market fund at 5% as long as it was a safe one or a safe yeah. bank. And then you had a pot of cash ready yes. if the market sold off. Yes, And the actual risk reward of doing that versus buying expensive puts and the market rallies and you yeah. then have a, you know, it's that for me was was a, a relatively decent trade. Um and then the other one that I did like was again it's a waiting trade was a one year call on gold because gold I think has done remarkably well remarkably considering well. where real yes. yields are. Yes. Everything behind gold at the moment should be saying 1600 or 1500. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just yeah minuscule off the all time high. Yeah. But I wouldn't want to be long it outright. I unless I you know maybe 5% I don't mind the gyrations yeah, yeah, but yeah. I would probably go okay one year at the money, the forwards are up, so it's probably at 2050. But vol on gold was at 1413, know, which is pretty much close to the lows. Yep. But these are not conviction trades
0: at no, all. No, it's, 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 it's a very, it's a very, very tough trading environment. we were, you said most recently, we were short bonds. We did okay uh, out of the move up in the US yields. We kind of tried to play it in Germany as well. Isn't really working. much. There's no momentum there at the moment. Um, you know the data isn't great. Um, i you know we've got some short stock positions on our CTA. Actually, is short everything, every every equity. I think except for the Nikkei. So it's the hmm. the Russell, the S and P, the Nasdaq, the the uh, the uh, DAX. FTSE, it just doesn't have the Nikkei on. I mean,
1: and and the problem with all those trades, and I looked at with the DAX, because I sort of say to people, look at the German economy, go, oh, it's terrible. I go, and where's the DAX? Well, it's near the all-time highs. (laughs) The problem is this is because of global, this is how global investing works, is that the DAX won't roll over until the US rolls over. Right, They all roll over together, and then it's which performs the worst. I mean, and a lot of people have the downside on the DAX on. DAX puts are quite expensive. Yes,
0: they are quite expensive. And and, uh, here's one that, you know, it's something that I've been looking at, you know, when I look at the flows over the last decade, as I said to you, the only thing that's really outperformed is really US and tech in dollars. That's where you want mm-hmm. it to be. So to me, you're getting to one of these points where, you know, you will eventually, will either roll into recession or the federal forces into recession. I don't believe the, immaculate reacceleration is a viable option unless we get AI that comes in quickly and saves things. So in that sort of scenario, when you do typically go into recession, the Fed starts to cut, the dollar starts to weaken. And I think what's been intriguing is if I said to most people, what would you be better off owning? The S&P, uh, if you're a European investor, the S&P or European stocks since September of last year, most of them would say the SP. I mean, you've had the AI thing, the Euros lower. Actually, no. In Euro terms you are better off being mm. invested back in your home domestic markets. And I think it's just it's getting it's getting quite it's getting quite interesting. So, you know, we're talking about in the next couple of days, we're talking about this geopolitical thing. We're talking about the US elections. I mean, God only knows what we're gonna get over here in the US mm. elections. I mean, it's an absolute basket case. So we're gonna get 2024, I think is a big, big year. I think we're getting a lot of combinations of these things and I think it's a very exciting point. And I hope, I hope to go back to your thing, we get some clear trades out of it because mm. I don't wanna sit here and just be pontificating about this shit and not be able to make money.
1: Yeah, I think the trades will be, um, they will be those hit and run trades. They will be trades where, You've got to be not glued to your screen, but you've got to just be a little bit yeah. more looking at it. Because you, as you said, you know, it's the days at least have gone until some trend re-establishes itself, and it might be a much more volatile trend than we're used to in terms of two years up, two years down, rather yeah. than up, 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 little yes. bit down, up, up, up. I think people are going to have to make more of their own investing decisions. Because what people have been used to so. is, you make a big decision, which is, I'm going to put my money into US tech, right. and then you go away for 10 years. <laughs> And that was it. Yeah, it and was everyone, great. and you always just you know, and I always say to people, you know, because I always go, oh, I'm not an investor, but you made the biggest decision when you decided were you going to go long bonds or long equities. What you did was give it to someone who might outperform another equity manager by yeah. two hundred basis points a year,
0: right? If you're but, lucky. If
1: you're lucky, but the eight percent that you made or the ten percent you made was because you chose. Well, you just got to do that a little yeah, bit more exactly. often.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And it's going to be hard. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be very hard. It's going to be hard. Well, look, thank you very much, mate. I hope you enjoy the next couple of days. we Will do.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I
0: think you're comparing some of the forums and panels and various things. So I think, you know, hopefully it'll be. I think lose. a lot
1: of these themes are going to be recurring. <laughs> because <laughs> they are, be no one has the answer. No one's got the, no one's got the definitive Only answer. Only smarties oh, have I mean, the answer. I, look,
0: I know I have the definitive... No, I don't have the definitive no. answer. But um, I want to thrash some of these things out. Because, I, I, as I said, I walk into the room and you just go... <laughs> something sticks in yeah. here it's not right,
1: right?
0: Yeah. It's not right. Well, thank you very thank much. Thank you. It's been here. a good combo. Pleasure. Thanks, mate.